All right, Ted, do you know what a podcast is? Uh, no. We don't Neither either. do we. We're, we're okay. <laughs> so the, if we, uh, we mess this podcast up, we're going to blame you, Ted. That's all right. I've been blamed for a lot of things. Okay, perfect. <laughs> oh, well, I think the first thing we want to start with is a story. And the story that comes to my mind is you telling me that story about you poking a bear in the nose. Do you remember that? Or can, can you remember that? Poking a bear in the nose? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't remember that. Now you're going to make me look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, Ted. Oh, oh well. <laughs> This is this is why we don't interview Ted. This interview is over. <laughs> the shortest podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, well, anyways, you were telling me a story about a bear that almost run you over or something. You had a biologist there was flipping over and you had dogs in a tangled mess. And uh, that bear yeah, came right it, at you. I was doing a, I was working on a cougar study on the reservation. Okay. And uh, one of the wheels came off of my four-wheeler. And I was fixing it, and all of a sudden, the dogs just blew up. And I told one of the guys, I said, hey, them dogs smell something. Turn one of them dogs loose. I was underneath the four-wheeler, so they turned dogs loose. They run down that hill, made a little circle, come right back. And I said, well, just load them back up. They load them back up, and boy, pretty quick, they blew up again. Down the hill, they went again. And that time, it started baying up. And uh, I had my wheel back on so I was, I got back up out of there and I could see that uh, they had a bear bait up and uh, one bear, one dog was below them and two dogs above them so I said well I'm going to go down and get these dogs before that old bear kills one of them and I go down the hill and I take my leash and I leashed up two of the dogs just as I get them leashed up the bear took a run at me I dropped the leash and I, I tried to run, but I slipped on a rock and I fell down. And there was a little old tree there about, I don't know, five inches. And I rolled up against it just as the bear climbed that tree. And I got up and I got out of there. And she had four cubs. After I got back up by the four-wheeler, she had four cubs run out of there. So she, she had them all denned up right there. And that dog just accidentally smelt them. And, took after him how was that on the old ticker well it, it was pretty tough i'll tell you <laughs> I, i'd be a liar if i said it didn't scare the heck out of me yeah okay well at least i'm not you're not calling me a liar now there was a some truth to that story i thought you <laughs> yeah had i didn't punch him in the nose but i could have <laughs> well, that's good that's good um so what I, we we really want to know is is i mean how old are you now ted I'll be 80 in August. Uh, and, and you were out this morning? Yeah. So tell us about a bobcat you put in a, in a, in a hole there. Um, yeah. So we want to hear start? that. But yeah, exactly. When did, when did, what got you into this thing? What, tell us about some of the early stuff. What, what made you get into the hounds? Well, I think it was uh, in my blood when I was born. My, my grandfather uh, was born in Oklahoma, and my grandfather was a fox hunter. And I mean, he went every day, you know, take the dogs and go chase fox of, of an evening after they'd worked in the field all day. And uh, I counted up one time and he had 18 grandsons and every one of them at one time or another had dogs except for one. And he was a little, 
mentally retarded. And I've told this story to other people, and they said, well, maybe he's the only smart one of the bunch, and the rest of you was retarded. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It might be the opposite. Either way, he got rode out of the will, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't ever get to know him. He was uh, he passed away when I was about two years old. But I've got lots of pictures of him, and and uh, he, he was a, he was quite a hound man. But yeah. then then my brother started, I don't know, I was – I wasn't very big. I might have been five years old, but he was nine years older than me, and he'd let me ride on the back of his horse. When he'd t- he had one dog, he'd take squirrel hunting, and I'd get to go, and, and then he'd use me for, I'm not sure what he was using me for, but he'd make me walk around the tree, and the old squirrel would, you know, he'd stay on the opposite side of me because I was moving, and then he'd shoot the squirrel. You were a decoy. <laughs> I was a decoy, Yeah. <laughs> you, but you, I loved it. I thought it was great to get to go with my big brother and go hunting. Which which brother was that? That wasn't Ken, was it? Yeah, Kenny. Kenny. All right. When when did Kenny pass away? Um, I think it's been two years ago. I know it was. It, uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed Kenny and in the field trials and you guys. But it sounds like he abused you a little bit as a. As a... No, I loved it. <laughs> we'd, get a, we'd get a bobcat going and i'd take after the dogs and he knew the country and he'd drive around and pick me up yeah so i was the legs perfect what uh so what was your first um when you started getting in dogs you know what we always have this thing that we're trying to think about is like one dog you know and, and for you it might have been more but what's the one dog that kind of either turned the page for you or got you hooked or you know, what's that one dog that you remember that maybe ruined your life? I don't you know. Well, it was, it was probably my brother's dogs. Cause I started going with, you know, with him every chance I got. And I bought my first dog from a guy in, uh, let's see over by Redmond. And it, it was a little half basset, half blue tick. And boy, he was a dandy. They gave $15 for him. What year was and he? And he turned out to be a, a really good dog. And I kept him till I went in the service. And then my brother took him and hunted him all the time I was in the service. And, and what did you hunt with with him? Uh, bear and uh, and bobcats. And of course, there was no cougar back then. Really? Yeah, I seen my first cougar track was uh, was in January or February of '67. And uh, I caught him, and that's the first cougar track. Well, it wasn't the first track I'd seen, but it's the first cougar I'd seen. And uh, I took him, he weighed 187 pounds. That's a good cat. And you know what day you've seen your first cougar? Well, I can look up in my diary and, and tell you. See, that's <laughs> what we want. We want the memoir. <laughs> like, when did you start tracking? Because... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You've caught over 3,000 bears, right? I mean, I remember that was a big deal. Well, I got 300, 3,821. So we're going to make it to four is what you're saying. Well, if if I can stay healthy, I sure hope for it. <laughs> wow. When did you start recording it? And why? I mean, was it just you just wanted to keep a log or did it start with your studies? Well, I just, 
for a long time, all I, I could remember everything. You know, I could remember, hey, I caught 10 bears this summer or whatever. But, uh, oh, and on that cougar, it was Thursday, January 19, <laughs> 1967. Jeez, man. That's impressive. I mean, that that – you were smart back then, Dad, because I I had, okay. I still haven't started. I'm I'm not going to be able to catch up at all because I didn't even start a, a year ago. <laughs> so my question is is, you know, which I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it to you anyways. Did you do that so you could brag? Because because if you if you did, I don't see you on. You don't have a computer, so so you need to get on the internet so you can brag a little bit more. No, no I ain't much on bragging now. A lot of this, I wrote down the names of the roads I caught the bears or bobcats off. And if I got up somewhere, I think, man, I'm going hunting. Uh, where am I going to, you know, in the wintertime, where am I going to go bobcat hunting? I'd look through this book and I'd see, I'd go down through it right quick. Oh, yeah, that was a good spot. I'm going to go there this morning. So it was kind of a reference. And that's what it's just you keeping a log so you kind of keep track of different game and, and where you've seen it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And That's then, it. and then when I started working with the fish and wildlife, well, uh, I just started keeping records of the, you know, we, we'd collar a bear or a cougar or whatever, and uh, and then I would know right where we collared it at and what number it was and the date that we collared it. I, I got a good idea, Jason. Yeah. I think if Ted will let us reproduce that book. We could we could probably sell it pretty handily over in his area. Yeah, right. <laughs> Top dollar. What do you think about that, Ted? Will you give all your secret spots away? Well, my my girlfriend told me to be real careful about this interview because she's going to do a book about me. <laughs> don't let him. Don't, don't let your fame get out of there. All right, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that uh, is impressive. Do you keep? Is it one book? Um, for both cats, both yeah, cats. It's bear. encyclopedia series. And, it yeah, sounds yeah. like one one side's bear and the other side's bobcats and cougars. And which one do you fill up first? Uh, the is, bear one. Is it? I'm, is I'm it, looking at literally... one right now that was. I got one here from last year. It's got 139 bears on it. Jeez. And and I had to staple another piece of paper to it to write them all down. Life's rough. <laughs> Let me add to my catch rate here. Yeah, exactly. I got I got to put another piece of paper in my book. Right. I, I, only, got, I only got one piece of paper. It's like it's a little one of these little note cards. You know about about that big is what mine's going to be. You can't see that, Ted. That's a post-it note. Oh, uh, this is this is an old one of those old books from the hospital where it's probably I don't know. It's over a foot long. And I'd write, I'd split it down the middle and I'd fill up both sides. And then I had to staple another one in. But I got one here, I got two of them stapled in. And I caught 100 and, 160, 169 that really? year. I had two years, I caught 169. Yeah, that that was the one thing I remember whenever you were, I was over there visiting with you a couple of years ago. And, and that, that book, it, it's just impressive that that you know, and I'm sure there's other guys out there that do it, um, but I don't know how many could go back to their first, you know. Well, see, I I started when I was in high school, because uh, uh, I could remember everything I got. Yeah. And so when I moved over here, I started just uh, writing down 
how many I'd caught that year. Right. And that was, uh, let's see, that looks like it was about 90, uh, 95. What do you mean 95? That's whenever I, I, uh, I just wrote down the number of bears oh, I caught and okay. the number of bobcats and cougars I, I caught that year. Yeah. But after, after 96, then I started, I started, uh, writing everything down. Okay. Yeah, that is, that's impressive. So, um, so, uh, so how did you get, you know, back in the day, if you've been doing this since you're teenagers, I mean, how, how was it that you were getting dogs back then? What, you know, boy, it was almost impossible. If anybody, if we heard of anybody in the country that had a, had a hound, my brother and I would go and try to try to buy it from them. Didn't matter and, who, huh? uh, Didn't know. It didn't. You didn't look for bloodlines. You didn't look for nothing. Just a hound dog. And I bought yeah. one from a from a guy that got him out of the dog pound. I gave him twenty five dollars for him, and uh, and that's kind of what I started out with when I got out of the service. Just a dog from the pound. Dog from the pound, and was, he was the first bobcat I had him in on. Uh, I don't even know if he ran or not, but he was really bad gun shy. Really? But he come around, and I caught lots of bobcats with him. So did you start breeding your own, like, as soon as you could then, just so you'd have a supply, or did you guys just scour the country? For yeah, that's – no, we just – whatever we had, you know, we'd have to breed them. Cause, and there was two or three other guys that there in Primeville at the time, and uh, they all had dogs too. So if one of them had a good female, and we had a good male, or vice versa, why – and that's we we would breed those those two dogs together. Have you so in that? Have you learned anything, or do you do things differently now than you you did back then? Well, uh, I thought I was a lot smarter than all everybody else around there. Anyway, of course, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old. Well, you had you wrote and, your first uh, encyclopedia, so you're still yeah. you had a head start. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, anyway, we'd. Uh, I would have done my breeding a lot different than what those guys were doing then. And if you could, if you could ask those guys now, they're all gone. But if you could ask them now, they'd say, yeah, yeah, he was right. I, I should have made that cross. Really? Like what's an example yeah. of that? What would you, what traits would you, I mean, what is it that you would have done differently? Well, uh, some of the crosses that they made, they was better females to breed to. And and I just thought that they should should have bred, you know, to a better type female. But then the, the dogs, you know, no more than there was back then. They were still, if you worked them hard and, and took them hunting every chance you got, why, they'd turn out usually. Right. And my brother bought uh, a male and a female. You know, he bought a male from a guy over at Bates, Oregon. And uh, the guy had been doing a little trapping. So, so, so he let my brother take this dog on trial and, and of course he was just a top notch cat dog. And, and he had one there that he, a little red bone female that I used to go hunting with him of a night. And I, when we'd get home, I couldn't hardly sleep. I could hear this dog barking in the background because I love that dog. And I thought that dog he got out of Bates and that red female would have made perfect cross, but I don't know. They didn't believe me. So they didn't I didn't that. have any say so. 
What what were the traits that you'd like to see in a dog? Like whenever you're you're saying you like that dog, what was it about that dog that you that that you liked? Well, it's it's the same today as it was then. You you wanted them to learn quick. You wanted them to tree good, locate good, be cold nose where they could take those old bobcat tracks. It's you know six, seven, eight years, eight hours old. So. I mean, hunting back then, obviously you had a limited pool of dogs to pick from. I mean, were you guys hunting, like, waiting for winter in the snow flying, or, like, were they rig dogs back then? I mean, how were you hunting them since they were so sparse? Okay, I'll tell you who the rig dog was. Me. <laughs> we'd, go out and, we'd go out in the mountains and drag a bush, you know, behind the pickup right. when it was summertime and in the dust. And the Just next morning it. we'd go back and I'd ride on the hood of the pickup and look for bear tracks. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good deal. You didn't even strike, you didn't, no dogs to strike it. No, no, our dogs was road dogs only. And we kept thinking, boy, if we could just find something before we had to road them for 15 miles, we'd have a better chance of catching it. So we tried that and, uh, hey, it worked. <laughs> So, like, how long was it before you had an actual rig dog and you could sit in the pickup? Oh, I'm going to say it was about 19, uh, 1972 or three. I bought a little restored red bone from a guy in uh, California, O.W. Hill. And uh, one day I was just kind of driving along real slow and I didn't have anything. I just had an open pickup in the back. And I had another another dog there that was about three years old, and uh, all of a sudden they, them two dogs stood up and just had a fit. And I thought, shoot, I bet they smell a bear. And I turned them loose, and yeah, we caught a bear. And that little red bone female was only a year old, but she was a top strike dog for the rest of her life. Really? And, yep. and that was just did you write that in your book? uh just the one between my ears <laughs> that's the only one huh well that was yeah and that was the first time you struck one off the off the truck and then yep. after that it just yeah. gradually that got was better. out of the back well they they just naturally got better because they'd you know uh whenever she'd bark they'd start barking whether they smelled it or not and pretty quick then you could tell that they was actually uh smelling that right. and i had an old dog that i'd bought in about Oh, a little bit before that, and oh, he was a renegade. That he'd been turned loose. He was, I think, he was like three years old, and he'd run loose his whole life out in the edge of the sagebrush. So he was bad to run coyotes and deer, and and but I finally I, I bred him to that little red bone female, and and I got a, a big old male out of that cross, which uh, probably is the best dog I've ever owned. But you know, if I had so many good ones through the years, it's hard to compare them. But uh, what, so I know back. I run a. Why would you say that was the best dog you ever owned? Real quick. Stamina. Uh, I ran a bobcat one day for eight hours and twenty-five minutes. Mm -hmm. I, I timed it when I turned loose on the coal track, and I had a photographer with me that was wanting bobcat pictures. And but that's. Uh, and that's a long time for a dog to run. Yes, and sir. basically, he was jumped that whole time. He didn't run him very far till he jumped him. So she turned out to be like real foundation stock and 
like from then on was the rigging something that was pretty dominant yeah. and passed on. Yes, that's that's true. And then uh, later on, I I bought a dog from Mark Montcrief, a pup, and it had a lot of that Woods Creek loose Bruce blood in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he had a female, but uh, she had bad kidneys, and that was a trait. Those they inbred those dogs so much that you know they had bad kidneys or there was something the matter with them. But oh my gosh, he was a good dog, and he was probably just as good a dog as that red dog I was telling you about. But when he was five years old, uh, he, he died from kidney failure. So that was one of those inbred traits. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, in in your opinion, does that seem to be, you know, have you seen a lot of, I mean, how many litters of puppies do you think you've had over the years? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. But sometimes it was just all I had at the time. And. But they seem to all turn out. There's all, uh, you know, I I started them young and and worked them right on up till they was big enough to chase bears and 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 bobcats. And yeah. actually, I guess I first thing I started with fish and wildlife was a bobcat study. And uh, you know that the Oregon State Hound Club talked to fish and wildlife into taking the uh, putting the bobcats on the fur list. And, you know, along with the beavers and everything like that, and uh, make the bears and the cougars a game animal. Well, that's, they said, that's, that's fine, but we don't know nothing about them. And they, so they, they didn't do anything with the cougars or the bears, but they stopped the bobcat hunting. And I said, well, why did you stop it? If you don't know anything about them, so you can learn something. And that guy told me, he says, well, I'll tell you what. This was one of the commissioners. He says, you take your biologists out. And you show him bobcat tracks, and we will reopen the bobcat season. I said, fair enough. So I come straight home and went to the Fish and Wildlife office, and they went for it. So I took uh, I took that biologist out, and I could show him all kinds of bobcat tracks. And, and of course, he told his superior, and his superior called Portland and in 1978. Eight, I think we was doing most of that, but I think it was seventy nine when they opened the bobcat season back up. How long? How long was it shut down for? I think it was only a couple of years there. Because really? as soon as they shut it down, why? Uh, you know, I, I went to the commission meeting and, and complained about it, and, and they said, "Well, we just don't know enough about them." And I said, well, "Why don't you find out something about them?" And they they right. said, "Well, you go talk to your biologist, and he'll get back to us." And so he did. And that was Mark Hendrum, you know, the one that I did all the cougar research and the bear research with. Now, were you using the same dogs for cats and, and bears? Yes. And they did real well yes, on if both. I had huh? one that, well, if I had one that, that he didn't like to run bobcats, but he loved bear. Well, I'd sell him to some guy that don't bear hunt, just hunts bobcats or vice versa. A lot of times I have a good bobcat dog, but he wouldn't run bear. And uh, so I'd sell him to somebody and say, hey, this dog will not run a, a bear. So, you know, you'll only have to be able to bobcat honey. I see. Now, do you still do you still keep two packs or are you down to one pack? You keep two separate No, packs? In, the, in the summertime, I keep two. You keep two uh, I usually packs. keep about eight dogs. Yeah. 
and I'll run one pack one day and I'll run the other pack the next day. And that gives the the first pack, you know, a, a day and two nights to recuperate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me that you'd, you'd rotate dogs because you were hunting, you know, at least you used to work one day and, and uh, hunt the rest. Right. I don't know how much well, still when I was, yeah, when I was doing that denture uh, lab work, uh, I only worked Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and okay. I started taking Friday off. And and uh, you know, I, it wasn't that I didn't have the work; it's just that I got better at my job, and so I really didn't have anything to do Thursday and Friday. So I started taking them both off, and that gave me more time to work for the Fish and Wildlife on on their research. Yeah. What? So you've done the bobcat study is when you started, or, or just showing them tracks? And you, I know you've done a couple of cougar studies and some bear studies in Oregon. How many well, studies we, do you think you've done? Uh, oh my gosh, I'd have to, I'd have to go back through a lot of my records to, to tell you that. But yeah. uh, the cougar study, I think it started in in late eighties. And uh, it run for, I know Jim Akinson was over here, one of the biologists yesterday, and we was talking about it. And he said he uh, he thought we ran that cougar study about seven years. And uh, about the last two years, we started the bear study. So they kind of overlapped. And we did that for, I don't know. I, I got my records here, I could tell you, but uh, well, whenever okay. we, we quit, yeah, when we quit the bear study, we had a lot of, of uh, college kids coming in wanting to do something, you know, in order to graduate from college. Yeah. So we we'd do something else. We'd let them take the telemetry out and 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 find them. And and uh, matter of fact, one of the ladies is is got a job and stayed here. That she was just getting out of out of college, and she had to have a, some kind of a project to graduate. And, you know, we're still doing that. Still got a lot of college kids coming in. And that's just tranking them, collaring them, getting DNA samples, right? Yep. Yep. So what do you guys do? I mean, if you, let's say you catch a lion and you're trying to collar it. I remember you telling me one time about the net and how you guys catch it when it comes out. Well, we had, we had a catch pole. Yeah. Yeah, the, we had a net all the way around the tree. And we did the same thing with the bears, too. And actually, I don't know how many bears that we actually collared. And we caught a bunch of them, you know, and we, we couldn't get the biologist there with all the gear. So it was too far back in the wilderness. And so we, we couldn't get them back there. But I don't know. It's just, it just took a lot of time. And, but I, I overlapped so many cougar studies. We, actually, we had one cougar store where, uh, going where we was uh, collaring them and another where we was uh, shooting them to, you know, to let the deer and elk population come back. Right. And you also did the, the other one that I was uh, looking at was you did one with the wolves and the cougar interaction, right? Is that one finished? That one's over, yeah. That one's yeah. over? And, uh what did they ever well, figure out actually about that? The one word, well, they they figured that uh, the cougars was probably doing a little bit better, but the population was going down so fast. I don't know how they come up with that, but that's 
that was the outcome. But actually, they're, where I'm working on this cougar study now, they're uh, they're studying all predators. Uh, they've got bobcats, cougars, bears, coyotes, wolves. Um, I think that's it. But they got collars on all of them, and they're they're studying them. You know the interactions and everything still yet. Really? Have they found anything that you've seen is interesting? Or I mean, you know, of course they're not finished. But what's the key takeaway you have on that, especially the wolf and the cougar interactions? Well, I think that I think the wolves are just taking over. Really? I mean, they was up right up here by the house the other day, looking for uh, some uh, wolves, and I'd seen one track up there, and it had been had one leg shot off or something. But it was crippled, and they said, "Yeah, they knew about that one. Uh, he'd he'd been around for three or four years." Hmm. And I don't know if if you know they don't come down around the houses much, right? But uh, one one of the neighbors had a cow die up in the he had a permit up in the Forest Service, and he had a cow die up there, and he went up there one day and he and uh, walked in on it, and it was seven wolves eating on that cow man uh what what do the cougars do when a wolf moves in do they move out or well i think they i think they either follow him around trying to kill him or waiting for the cougar to make a kill and take it away from him really because the cougar population is just it's down way down you know we had uh i think we had 29 cougars collared in Catherine creek well, you figure if they take a deer a week, each one of them, then you wonder how come the population is getting so low on the deer. You know, yeah. that, that. It probably doesn't help when the wolves kill off, you know, chase off the cougar and it's got to go make another kill. Yeah. And they'll, they're not like the cougars. Cougars will make a kill, eat off of it, and then go off and lay down someplace. Mm-hmm. And the wolves stay right there till it's all gone. Really, just pick it clean. Yeah. Yep. Bones and all, boy. They don't hardly leave anything. I uh, we've seen started seeing some tracks in our area, and I know Jason has them down there now in, in Southern Oregon. It's I mean, for us, uh, for us, it's never dealt with them. It's it's a scary deal. I mean, you see those tracks, and it's it's no yeah. joke. Yeah, it's been it changed a lot of things. I mean. I've stopped hunting certain areas just because of it. Um, I know my first run in was 2012 with OR seven and he had a dog of mine. He had jumped over a manzanita brush to get up on this kind of plateau, but there was no way for him to jump down. Like if he would have tried to jump over, he would have fallen to his death. I mean, it was a pretty steep embankment. And my buddy and I hiked in there over the course of two days, trying to find a way to get him out, repel over the edge. And we just, could never get to him. We walked in the next morning and here's wolf tracks just pacing the whole area. And uh, some guys that are part of the Cattlemen's Association, some ranchers down there, you know, they had seen him and told us about it. And every since that day, I mean, it seems like that was the foothold for the Southern Oregon stuff. And, you know, now, heck, I've had him walk right by my buddy's pickup and sit him, watch his dog street. You know, it's, it's a whole different element and it's not a whole lot of fun. Well, I've talked to three different guys that uh, that says, you know, they're still turning them loose. 
the environmentalists that, you know, they know that it's, it's eventually it's going to stop all hunting, you know, if we've got wolves. And, and some of them are going to Canada, buying those wolves, bringing them back, you know, and they usually bring them back in the pairs. Three different guys I've had tell me that they, they just get right up on some truck, you know, and they all had canopies on and it had cages in there. And they said, I know. And one of them actually, uh, the guy jumped in his rig and took off. So he pulled up there and stopped. And right there in the dust, he said, there was all kinds of wolf tracks. He said, I know that guy in that pickup was, was turning out wolves. And, yeah. and the fish and wildlife gets blamed for all that. You know, you get to talking to people that hunt a lot and they say, gosh, I wish them fish and wildlife guys hadn't brought those cougars in here or uh, wolves in here. But they didn't have any choice. The federal government told them, you don't take none of them wolves. You just take good care of them, and there will be no shooting of wolves. Right. Yeah, I've had some pretty good talks with our local biologist because we had a little mishap, um, potential wolf issue. And, you know, they I they dealt with it with some real grace. I mean, honestly, our, our biologists and at least in our area are really good to work with. And they really tried to drive home, like, we need the information from you guys. If you if the information's out there, you know, collect it, get it to us. Because in the end, we want we want the same thing you do. We want management. It's just their hands are pretty much tied, it seems like. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's a whole topic on itself as far as the wolves go. I mean, it... it that's a whole podcast all on oh, its own. It's a couple podcasts, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so some of the other things, um, we've covered some of your dogs and stuff. Do you have any, like, train wrecks? Like, we, we always want to close in on a train wreck. Do you, you have any mishaps? Does everything always work perfect for you? Well, yeah, no, I have had mishaps. I've <laughs> I was that why I had telemetry. Why I had one dog that uh, I run a bobcat and run out of gas in my snowmobile, and so I had to go back down and get gas. And I went back up there, and I drove around and drove around. And I never could find those dogs, but I think they must have caught him in a hole in the, in a log or something. You know, and that dog got in there and and got hung up because I have got the trees where the dogs be in a hollow log and, and have their collars hung up. Yeah. And actually, I have to take the power saw and, you know, kind of cut you a little hole in there and get him out. But right. just uh, this last summer, I had a had a dog that was real bad. To, if a bear wanted to come down, you know, he was bad to run up there and grab him. And uh, that old bear, I think, turned all holes loose. It was a big bear. And I think it just fell right on top of him. And uh, that's that was a five-year-old dog that was top-notch, and he died. I took him, grabbed him, and took him to the vet. You could see the hair on his side was, you know, it, when he's breathing, it'd be a big bunch. And I felt of it, and he had busted rib right there. But I imagine that rib probably went through his lung. But uh, yeah. I got him to the vet as soon as I could. But he, he didn't make it. When they opened him up, he said he was just bled out. Yeah. So since you've been hunting, I mean, obviously for quite some time, Ted, I mean, like stories like that make me think, you know, you hunted telemetry days. I mean, honestly, you probably hunted before telemetry, right? 
and a few years, uh, <laughs> like I mean, 20 or 30. Cause I know for me, like the GPS is great and it's nice to know what's going on, but really like for me, the number one, especially going back to the wolves is knowing where that dog is. Because if, if some of this stuff would have happened with telemetry on, like we would have never known until it was too late, you know, like the odds of yeah. the dog making it were, were slim. <laughs> Would you would you agree with that? I mean, as far as staying up on yeah, dogs absolutely. and safety. What do you miss about the telemetry days, that, Ted? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> what about before I telemetry? You know, I it was it was no big deal to get out and walk for five miles. Because you just walk over one hill, you knew which way they went, and that's all you knew. Really? And sometimes you'd walk, walk all dang near it all day and uh you know, you couldn't find your dogs, and you come back, and they'd be at the pickup, <laughs> waiting on you. So, yeah, and sometimes you know, it, you might be. I know one time I lost a dog, the old dog I told you, the first really good one I had that I uh, bought, I think in '72, and I lost him one of the first hunts over here in the in the wilderness, and it was over towards Troy. And a guy called me, that was in, in September, 1st of September. And and some guy called me in the middle of December and said, hey, I got a dog here with your name tag on it. Are you missing a dog? And I said, no, I'm not missing any dog. I done forgot about that old red dog. He said, well, you're a big old red dog. And I said, do you suppose? I said, yeah, I did lose a big old red dog last September. <laughs> but, you know, he's the one I told you ran loose his whole life till I got him. And... Uh, he didn't have no trouble. He's fat and sassy. He just, he just made it. I've rode him, man. And he, it, yeah, I, I've been roading him before. Whenever, before I had strike dogs, and uh, the little squirrel run across the road, and he was so quick, he'd have that squirrel in his mouth and tail hanging out, and he just as proud of himself. So you know, he lived, he lived just fine. He wouldn't even let a, a pickup or somebody in a pickup see him. He'd, he'd hide. Just lie, huh? He was. He was a sly old devil. I lost him up the Grand Ron River one time. And I I went back the next day. It had rained. And I thought, boy, you know, maybe I can see his track in the mud or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm going along and there's a deer that's all hung up in the fence. And, you know, something been eaten on it. Well, coyotes, we got him. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, a big and, red one. It was right beside a big, huge, yeah, it was right beside a big, huge meadow. So I went on up the road about a quarter of a mile, and here's this dog track coming down the road. And I thought, I'll bet you that old devil's the one that's chewing on that dead deer. <laughs> so I went back to it, and I started calling him. He was out there about 100 yards. He raised up out of that weed, and mm-hmm. here he come. He recognized my pickup and me, and, and he was tickled to get to come home. But he wasn't fixing that nobody see him. That's funny. So that's, uh, that's pretty sly. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, I mean, going back to those dogs that beat you to the truck, because I think a lot of us have that story if you hunted before GPS. Um, I have a theory, and I kind of like to hear your thoughts on it, but the homing ability of a dog. I mean, like I used to have dogs that they would be within 50 feet of where I dumped them off if they weren't under the tree. And it didn't matter if it was a day, four hours. I mean, they could just home. And it seems like now we've got that Garmin. So we're sitting there looking at it. And if we can't get it rolling, we just call them back. And I think that over time, 
I, I don't know if we're just not allowing those dogs to do it or if it's been bred out of them because it's a real selective trait. But I just, I haven't had a dog like that in quite some time that has that precise homing ability. What do you think? I have one, Jason, just before Ted answers that. It'll be yeah. where I am. I'll be, it'll be a, a tree and I'll be like five miles and that dog will turn around and go back. And I cannot get, I'll be trying to cut it off on roads. And if it beats me to the road, it crosses the road. I mean, right. not all of my dogs, but I got one that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's annoying to be honest it, with you. Whatever you're trying to pick see, it up. But 10 years ago, was it annoying or was it nice to go back and pick up a dog and not have to worry? Ted, <laughs> that's where Ted comes in. Ted, tell me about it. <laughs> Well, uh, I can tell you one instance. My brother uh, would always leave his coat, you know, where we where we turned loose. And uh, matter of fact, he was off of a highway, but he'd throw his coat down there, and the old dogs would always come back and be laying there the next morning. And so one morning he went up there to get his dog, and somebody had shot his dog and stole his coat. That's a rough day. Well, that's, that's a rough good. day. That was a really super good dog, too. Really? Well, that kind of kills the podcast, Ted. Yeah, we just might as well end it now. Jeez. And you got a happy <laughs> story you can tell us? I'm going to be crying tonight. That's that's not... What do we got for a good Well, story, that was a long Ted? time ago. Yeah. So, do you... Well, going back to Jason's question. So... What, how does GPS change? Has it changed the way you hunt or anything? I mean, not as much as you would think, because I still like to listen to the dogs. And I've been hunting with other guys, you know, that had the GPS, and they'd be looking at the GPS all day and sitting in the pickup instead of getting out and listening to the dogs. Uh, but I do that too. I, I, I watch, I watch that, whatever you call it, buddy, on my dash or my pickup. I watch that a lot because it's kind of like a big map and I don't see all that great anymore. And I know the country, you know, I've walked every inch of it. So I know it all well. And I know exactly where they're treed at if, if they tree and how close I can drive to them. Right. Yeah. I always tell guys when they're first starting out is, you know, get used to that, that Garmin play with it, you know, the GPS but then put it away and listen to, you know I mean? Like, don't, don't forget why we're out there. We're out there to listen to the dogs. And, yeah. And, yeah. I think yeah that's of, right. I think a lot of that has been lost. Um, and it, it is a sad deal because yes, it's a great tool for us, but at the same time, I mean, how many guys would still be hunting without it, you know, or I remember asking people who's that big ball mouth or, you know, who's that roll chop dog? Well, so-and-so's out front. And it's kind of a sad deal because I think that there's been a lot of that personal connection with the dog during that race that they're just relying on the equipment instead of really focusing, getting to know the, the game, getting to know the dogs, you know, vocalizations. Um, I don't know. I remember sitting at a UK or it was an AKC judging seminar or something like that. And some guy basically called me a liar because I told him I could tell any of my dogs by how they barked and you know we all know that's the truth i mean that's why we do what we do we can call them we know what they're doing but exactly i think that that's something that we should really encourage especially with new hunters yes it's a great safety tool for us to use but don't drive nails with a screwdriver in the end that dog's voice and and what it does and how you react to it i think is the number one 
I remember one year at the convention, uh, old Brad was talking to an old guy that, you know, he'd bear hunted for a lot of years. And Brad told him, he says, well, they were talking about losing their dogs. And Brad said, well, I don't lose mine. If I can get close enough to them, I can call them right off of a bear. And that guy says, huh. Well, son, you don't have any bear dogs then. <laughs> you can call them <laughs> off. You don't have any bear dogs. Yeah. And you get a lot of that anymore, you know. But we all can call our dogs off. Yeah. You know, maybe we have to tone them. But all I got to do is holler at mine, and they'll they'll quit if they're bait on the bear. And sometimes it tickles to death to get away from that nasty old bear. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the relief. <laughs> yeah. We've been working as little as a mean one. It's like a boxer waiting for yeah. the bell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's going to about wrap it up. My only last question for you is, is how much money and how many women do you think you've lost over these dogs? A lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be my third marriage. It's not a poor man's sport, yeah. is it? It's not a poor man's sport. It's a rough game sometimes. It's a lot of attention, a lot of a lot of time. Like we, we focus a lot of energy into this stuff. No, that's one thing I'll give the GPS is I remember the days of bouncing, you know, telemetry signals all over. That alpha paid for itself the first season in just fuel savings driving around the mountains yeah. all day. <laughs> Well, see, I kind of, I kind of had an end because the fish, <clears throat> fishing wildlife guys had all those collars, you know, before we got them, and so I could, I could learn what direction they were and everything, you know, using their equipment. Oh yeah, the telemetry stuff. Yeah, I figure, well, they're not going to quit that cougar, so wherever he's at, where they're going to be at. Oh, I see. So you were tracking the cougar, and you knew where your dogs would be. Good thing. Good head start. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. We, uh, I got to go up there and, and work with Bart George on a, on a, he's done a cougar study up there and it's real interesting. We'll have to do one on that sometime. Um, we'll maybe get him on here, but it's, it's definitely a different game when you're working, you know, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, but you know, you go out there to hunt to enjoy it, but whenever you're doing them cougar, there's a lot of work in that, you know, as far as packing gear down there and, and trying to figure out you know, who's going to go to the, to the cat and to the tree and, and trucks. And, and it's just a lot going on. I was like, I, I got back and I'm just talking to Laura and I was like, man, I don't feel like I hunted. It was, it was more work than it was enjoyable sometimes. <laughs> well, our work, worst work was uh, with the bears because we had this great big heavy net and we even used it on, on the cougar steady stuff. And it, uh, the packs weighed 63 pounds a piece. We had to have two packs. Half of the net would be in one and half the net would be in the other one. And if you laid around in the snow and got it wet and didn't take it out that night and dry it out, well, boy, they was heavy. <laughs> you didn't forget to dry those nets out, huh? But I told him, I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a mule here. I'm, I'm the hound dog man. You guys take care of packing those packs. So I never really packed very much stuff. Smart man, Ted. You're a smart man. No kidding. <laughs> All right, Ted. Well, you got anything else you want to share uh, before we, we close this up? Well, you didn't ask me how many bobcats well, and cougars we want to I hear caught. The bobcats, the cougars, and the bears. Yeah, we want totals. 
Well, the, the caps are all together. But and when was the first entry? Say that one more time. Jason was talking. He was rudely talking on top of you. I was rude. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, it's uh, 1,779 bobcats and cougars. Really? And how many bears? Three thousand eight hundred and twenty-one. Dang. Well, and what year did you start recording that? Uh, I think it was. Uh, you know, like I said, I, all I did at first was just write down uh, numbers. the numbers that I caught, and that was in, down to ninety-six. Uh, so I imagine probably about. I don't know. I'll have to look and see if I find that. Well, that's interesting. We can do that around. I'm, I'm sure it was. Okay, I, 76 and 77 is the first first time I wrote down bears and really? bobcats. And that's I can't even do the math. And well, I was born in 78, so that's 40 years. 77 and 78, I caught... <laughs> no, I wasn't even born, Dad. I wasn't even born, and you were writing uh, stuff down in the book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's impressive, Ted. That's impressive. All right, Ted. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Well, and uh, go ahead and give us your last, your last word okay. there. Encouragement to those younger guys. Stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to lose near as many women. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep a girlfriend if you don't get the dogs. Awesome. Have yeah. a good one.